I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of World Cup Fracas, episode three, I believe, and it's your boy Dan Coots on hosting duty today. Um, full house today, uh, but I'm joined by uh, my fellow touchy Guna, German Dan. How you doing, my man? I'm good, bro. I'm good. And and the guys from um, from Merseyside are, are filling up the other half of the the pod um, with Fahi and Marco. How are you guys doing? Good, brother. I, I guess you can call this Coppen Gooners, right? Mm, yeah, t- touchy Coppen. I don't know. I don't know how it sounds. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't like, I don't like the touch in the name, man. <laughs> yeah, we'll keep it. We'll keep it. We'll keep it PG. But yeah, the Coppen Coppen Gooners are representing um, Touchline today. Uh, episode three, World Cup fracker and four games, man. I don't know about you guys, but I'm liking this uh, format of the World Cup. I, I know there's been a lot of criticism about, you know, the the human rights and this, that, and the other about hosting the World Cup in Qatar. But games, me getting out of bed, uh, coming downstairs, flicking on the TV, watching the build up, um, and watching four games whilst my work meetings, you know, are going on in the background. I can I can get used to this, man. This is this is a good life. Bro, 9 a.m. He's a fucking All right. <laughs> yeah, so let's get let's get hey, straight into it. Right? Fuck human rights, man. Hey, I, that's not what I said, German dad. This ain't Twitter. Yeah, please don't get me don't get me hey, bin. Um, <laughs> he's trying to get me he's trying to get me cancelled. But well, look, I'm saying let's focus on some of the positives that's coming from this World Cup, German. That's all I'm going to say. Um, but. Yeah, let's get straight into it because the 10 a.m. game was a bit of a call cool call. I think um, a lot of people were expecting Argentina versus Saudi Arabia to be a bit of a one-sided tie. Um, but that was anything but, you know, and uh, Saudi Arabia probably getting one of the biggest upsets we have seen in World Cup history. 
Um, I know a few of you guys were on the spaces with us um, during that game. So, you know, let's 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 start with you, Marco. Actually, right? What's your reaction to to that result and that performance from Argentina? Um. So I guess first and foremost, yeah, like going into the game, I thought it was going to be a blowout, like you mentioned, didn't it? Like the Argentinian team seemed so overpowered in comparison, didn't it? Um, but I feel like they got a couple of their selection wrong. I feel like Enzo Fernandez should have started. I also think Lissandro Martinez should have started. Um, and part of that is because they need a destroyer in there, and I don't really rate Paredes as a destroyer. Even if you are playing a team that is significantly below your standards, you still need someone that's able to break up play and is able to pass through lines. And in Enzo and Lissandro, they have both of those guys in it. Um, but it started off quite quickly. There was loads of offsides from what I remember. Um, I think it was like four offsides in the first 10 minutes. And I thought, you know what, this is going to be routine. Like Messi is just pulling strings. He's threading it through. Um, I think... Martinez, sorry, Lotoro Martinez was quite poor for a couple of those chances. Like, I feel like the one way he does the step over and rounds the keeper, he should hold his run a lot better because there's literally nobody around him. He's looking across the line. All he needs to do is wait for Messi to play the ball because Messi's a fantastic playmaker. Go into the space and he bags the goal. But eventually they don't make it 2-0 and Saudi just, boy, <laughs> boy, Romero got cooked for that first one, you know. Fag, like literally mm. ripped apart. I'm so surprised at that. Um, there's, there's, think... there's discussion to be had on that guy, man. I... There's discussion to be had. <laughs> mm. There's definitely a discussion. Um, one of the things that I heard from the commentators was nine of the Saudi Arabian team played for the same side, and it made sense when you looked at their chemistry, their cohesion, the way they pressed together, the high line that they held, the amount of trust they had in each other in terms of like playing the ball into each other, even. Um, you could tell that they played together for some time and it showed through. Mm. Yeah, for sure, man, for sure. And I think, um, you know, that high line was something that was discussed on the spaces as well. And <clears throat> it seemed, you know, I guess, I guess because you guys are Liverpool, Liverpool fans, right? That's, that's something that you've seen Klopp employ um, recently. And, you know, I think it, it's almost one of those things where when you catch a team offside, it's almost like, right, that... Um, it's going to be a matter of time, but when you're playing that high line effectively, that's the whole point, right? That you're you're yeah. able to, to 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 get that to to catch the opposition offside so many times. And I thought, you know, Marco, you're, you're bang on with the Lautaro um, point because I just thought he, it looked like he didn't even understand the offside rule. Um, some some of the some of the offsides that he was getting flagged for, I, I think there was one where he, he could have been at least four or five yards offside when the ball. Um, when the ball was played, and I think that just played straight into um, Saudi Arabia's hands. But you know, Dan, I think you got um, you got a few things to get off your chest um, about this this Argentina team. So I'm going to give you the floor now to to speak. Yeah, just um, I think Argentina, are, I think a bit of a hype drop. You know, um, I think with football, I always feel like people should watch the games and make their opinion, and and then say why they think certain teams are you know favourites or not. And I think Argentina was one of these teams, and I, I personally haven't seen them much. So I was just going off what people were telling me, saying, oh, yeah, they're unbeaten in 36. They, you know, they won the Copa America, et cetera, et cetera. So you're just getting this, this perception of them that they're really good. And then you watch them, you're like, these look shit. They look shit. Let's be, let's be completely honest. Um, I feel like in midfield, they were really poor. The ball moved slow. 
Um, when Messi had the ball, there was some stuff happening and Di Maria at times as well. But you know, apart from them, it just kind of looked, it looked kind of bad. And I think passing up from the back, they were pretty poor. I felt. Um, and then they were getting pressed by Saudi Arabia were pressing their life out of them. Saudi Arabia was so brave, and I think um, obviously there's a, a lot of discussion about our. Um, you know, Argentina, biggest upset and, you know, um, they'll bounce back, etc. So, but we need to give credit to Saudi Arabia because they were brave and they they had a game plan and stuck to it. They didn't, you know, I mean, they caught them four or five times, maybe even more than that offside. And they didn't get scared. They kept going. And in the end, they got the rewards, you know. So um, I think in Argentina's team, there is definitely a bit of a, you know, lack of balance in terms of some of the players that you'd like in your team to, you know, as Marcus said, the destroyer maybe in midfield, someone that keeps the ball better or you know, kind of, you know, dictates games better in midfield. And then I do think at the back, they just have two bowls at the back. Their centre-backs, for me, I mean, Otamendi, we've seen him in this league for ages and we know how much of a bowler he is. I mean, he's got an elite bowler gene. And then his, his younger brother, Romero, don't look too, too different. <laughs> It don't look too different, you know. Um, they need Lissandra in there, you know. I think Lissandra's a really good player. He's a bit more... I think, yeah, of course, he's very aggressive as well in the way he plays, but he's more level-headed than them, man. I mean, they're diving in, flying in on tackles, missing the ball, <laughs> then passing up poorly from the back. I mean, all of that together, I'm not surprised they got Pam today. Mm. Mm, so can I sure, just man. jump in and rewind on something that Dan said as well? Um so you alluded to us as Liverpool understanding the high line and like how teams can, how like the high line can work, I guess. On the flip side, watching Liverpool, especially over the season, we've seen how the high line can be undone quite quickly. And one thing that Argentina didn't do was have a midfield runner. Like one of the best ways to get past our high line is to have somebody running in from the midfield, maybe like a left-sided eight or right-sided eight that, is on the second pass so like you pass it out wide and then there's a little gap where you can have that midfield player darting in between and it seems like and i guess this part of the balance in midfield paredes and the pool wanted to play that final pass too quickly instead of passing it around and trying to keep the ball to unsettle saudi first they're trying to force the ball a bit too hot a bit too quickly and that just didn't pay off at all didn't have any dividends for them Mm. I think that's a very yeah, that's good a point. Really, really good point. Very yeah. good point. The runners from midfield and then the lack of control from midfield and the defense and the goalkeeper. If you if you watch the highlights or even the game back, Emmy Martinez was hoofing it every time. Hoof, hoof, hoof. I mean, and they played right into Saudi's hands. They you know were able to recycle, come back, go forward. I mean, I I, I mean I was surprised at the result. I said I wasn't surprised, but when you watch the game, you're like, yeah, this is happen this is gonna happen. When they were one 0 up and Saudi kept pushing, I was like, "Yo, they might get something." Then they score a goal, and you're like, "Actually, they could score another," you know, <laughs> and they did. So hold that, Argentina. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Yeah, I, I had to um, make sure that I was on mute watching that game because I think when the second goal went in, you know, I, I, I did, I did, I did this weird sort of shout slash, you know. Uh, slash sound um and and i just had to double check that i was on mute because you know i didn't want my boss you know having question marks around you know what's 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 going on there um that kind of thing but i thought the second goal was a superb superb finish as Bro, well um, and i think up there with one of the goals of the tournament mm, mm, yeah definitely definitely so far yeah definitely so far and i think you know he's the captain the real test man of that um of that team and i think you know um 
full credit to Saudi Arabia, I think, for that performance. The lack of fear that they showed as well to, to sort of play that high line, play that high pressing game, you know, high risk. Um, and I think they got the, the rewards um, for, for that as well. And I think credit to um, the manager, um, for those of you that are familiar with the AFCON, um, you know, that's a man who he's won an AFCON with, with Zambia um, and then went to Ivory Coast, won an AFCON with them as well. So he's got a lot of international um, prowess and he, I think he's showing that, you know, he um, he can set up a side um, to play to win against one of the very best teams um, in the world. But, you know, to, to come back to um, an international, uh, an individual focus, now I want to talk Lionel Messi, right? So people have said that this is a, a legacy tournament for him. Um, they're saying that, you know, this is uh, probably going to be his last World Cup. Um, he's, I think he's 35, 34 um, years old. So, you know, it's likely he's not going to be a, a mainstay for, you know, the 2026. Um, and his performance today, I think, has come under a lot of scrutiny. Um, I think with Argentina being the main favourites, uh, they were heavy, heavy favourites in the game um, today. So far, you know, what do you what do you make of, um, I guess, firstly, Lionel Messi um, and, and, and where he stands now, if potentially they go out of the group stage or something like that, um, and Argentina's chances um, as favourites as well? Yeah, I mean... It's, it... It's a tough one. I think I think from a messy point of view and in terms of the performance today, I don't think it's as bad as it's been made out. I think it's more the embarrassment of losing to Saudi, right? He had mm. four shots, three on target. Obviously, he scored, nearly scored in the first minute. Um, obviously, then he scored a pen. And then there was the header from like eight, nine yards in the second half. Um, other than that, I can't remember the shot off target. But I, I remember the four shots. Um, other than that, I don't think he played that badly. I think the issue more was the players around him. Obviously, you had Martinez who couldn't stay on side at any point. So, obviously, if he's creating any chances for the Bozo up front, that guy's always spraying offside. He was offside what? He must have been caught about five times. And that was probably in the first half. That's not even counting the second half. He was constantly caught offside. So, he was trying to create chances. He obviously took his chance. Penalty, obviously. Um but yeah, I think it's more an embarrassment rather embarrassment of the result rather than his actual performance. Regarding Argentina, I had them as second favourites. Obviously, I've been saying Brazil going to win it, and I had Argentina second favourites. But I was using shit like climate, you know, like um, form right now. Argentina on a huge win streak. I saw them play against Italy in the summer; they were really good. I was like, you know, based off all of this. I, I can see Argentina doing really well. It might be in the stars for Messi. The Sheikhs might want Messi to win. But, yes, yeah, Saudi, Saudi flogged them. So, mm. I, I really don't know what's going to happen with Argentina now because, boy, we've seen it before. I think it, was, it wasn't it was 2018. It may have been 2018, actually. When – what game was it in the group stage where they didn't perform and they lost the game? In the group stage in 2018, they lost the game or they didn't perform very well, and then they were just under like stupid amounts of pressure. I think it was Bosnia, wasn't it the first game? Did I draw? Yeah, I think it was the opening game. Oh, right? I draw nil nil. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. and and they just they they've never seemed like a team that handle pressure very well. Um, mm. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. And they in always that seem game. to be under pressure. Hmm? Yeah, I agree. And they always seem to be under pressure. Yeah, I, I yeah, always yeah, feel yeah. Like they the World Cup's quite poorly. largely due to Messi, though, isn't it? Like, if the greatest player in the world hasn't won the greatest tournament in the world, 
then there's naturally going to be that pressure. Mm. Yeah, and I think there is there is massive pressure on on this Argentina squad because you know I think this is probably the best position that they've been in internationally coming into the World Cup in what you know you're talking you know 30, 30 plus years where they're on this massive winning streak they could have set I think a new world record um, if they if they carried on um, unbeaten in this tournament um, <clears throat> they just won the the Copa America as well recently and so. You know, I think to 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 get, I guess, brought back down to earth with a loss against Saudi Arabia on your opening game, um, that's not ideal for them. So you know I what? I don't, really, I don't, I don't think, I don't think we're like we're like expressing how much of a mad result this actually was. Like, this is the it's biggest insane. shock ever. It was I trend in 2018. Yeah, this is the biggest upset I've ever seen in, 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 on the international football stage. I've never like, seen I remember ever. Senegal versus France in 2002, and that was a mazine. Yeah, yeah but this, yeah. this is uh, like this is the magic. I can't name a Saudi Arabian player. I watched the whole <laughs> game. Even now, I don't know them. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. It's it's absolutely it's absolutely nuts. Um, it's absolutely nuts because I remember I think 2002, um, Saudi lost eight nil to Germany or something. Yeah, to like Germany. That, right? So, was it, was so Germany. So, I think it was Germany, um, yeah. and uh, yeah, Dan under his head. I know he knows that one. Yeah, because <laughs> it was nagging so, that game, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so I was expecting something similar today, you know. But um, I think it shows a lot um, how much football has moved forward in a lot of these developing um, nations. You know, the quality of coaching, the quality of player, etc. And so, you know, as I said before, full credit to to Saudi Arabia because you know um, I think they sort of really um woke the the world cup up a little bit you know i think that was a great way to start the day um from a football perspective um and, and um, it, i think it's really made some of these other um group stage games a bit more exciting you know with people hoping for um more and more upsets so you know great um great credit to them so um i'm going to move on to to the second game of the day um which was nil nil between tunisia and um, Denmark, and I think there's not there's not a, a, an awful lot I want to say about this game. To be fair, I was impressed with um, Tunisia's performance. I think they're probably unlucky um, not to win. But I think some of the, the, the main talking points from from that game was, you know, obviously Christian Eriksen um, playing his first game um, since uh, obviously the, the the incident that he had at the the Euros. Um, and I think a lot of people have have been. Um, quietly um, uh, praising this uh, this Denmark side, you know, I think they they did quite well at the Euros. They got to the semi final, um, knocked out by by England, etc. So, you know, um, it'd be good to get you guys' take on on I guess that game and and how far you think Denmark can go um, in this tournament based on what you've seen. Um, Denmark, yeah, good team. Obviously, they've been in decent form as well. So recently, they beat France two 0 and the France team that they beat two 0 that was their France's strongest eleven. So um, yeah, they're obviously in good form. They they've been kind of pipped as like the the dark horses of the tournament. Um, mm. And yeah, based on what I saw today, I don't really think they're dark horses. I think they're a decent team. But obviously, if you can't beat teams like Tunisia, Tunisia played really well by them. I was really shocked by mm. how, how how good Tunisia were. Um, yeah, I, I don't really expect much from them. Um, if you're kind of looking at the Denmark team, boy, I mean, Dolberg up front, right? Like, you're not, it's nothing to really worry about. So, mm. 
yeah, it, you, you had Delaney and Ericsson that, that were pretty much doing a lot in the middle. Other than that, there wasn't really much going on. I, I, I thought Tunisia could have actually won that game. Yeah, especially in the first half, they had quite a few chances where they could have just put them away. Um, mm. But but yeah, I, I I wouldn't take much from that. I think the game was pretty dry. Other than that, I think it was just more we were more shocked that Tunisia gave them a really good game. Yeah, yeah, and to be to be fair, I was very shocked because um, during that Afcon last year, Tunisia knocked out Nigeria. Um, on, on like for me, which was which was devastating, um, because they were they were a very very poor side um, when they faced Nigeria, you know, and I thought, um, you know, I wasn't expecting much from them um, in in this tournament. I was surprised they even qualified for the World Cup, um, full stop. To be honest, um, so I thought they gave a very very good account um, of themselves. You know, I think um, a few of the guys to watch uh, for Denmark in in terms of Damsgaard and um, uh, Lynch. Lindstrom as well. Um, they they started on the bench really, so you know I wasn't too enthused by the lineup that I saw from Denmark. So I wasn't that surprised that they weren't um, as penetrative um, or as exciting as as maybe some were expecting, you know. But um, Denmark, anything you want to add that game? Um, I yeah. guess just to echo what Brian said, I feel like Tunisia were a very World Cup side. Um, displayed it. I feel like they had that whole left side, Abdi. I think it was Lasuidi. Um, they had some really energetic characters. I remember seeing the defender celebrate a tackle at the first minute. Like he's just got the ball out and he's celebrating the tackle. And I was like, yeah, these got to have a bit of heart. They're going to show something. Um, but in terms of Denmark, I'm surprised Damsgaard didn't start. I feel like he's one of their brightest sparks. Where I feel like Denmark fall down and why I don't see them as dark horses is I don't think they have enough firepower. Like I think Dolberg is okay, but. I haven't watched him since he was a 19-year-old at Ajax. I feel like, um, is it Seb Olsen? Or that Olsen guy is quite leggy. He doesn't really offer too much one-on-one. He wasn't even really getting past his marker. Um, I do like Mela. I do like them behind their attack. So I do like Ericsson somewhat. I do like Hoiberg somewhat. <laughs> well, Hoiberg more for country than club. Um, Mela's quite good. Uh, Anderson and Christensen are quite good, decent pairing. And Schmeichel's a good goalkeeper as well. Had an amazing save for that chip where it was literally about to go in. And I think that was Tunisia's best chance of the first half. Um, but they just don't offer too much going forward for me. And in a World Cup here, I know what you said, Dan, on the live, which was about midfield and defence winning World Cups. But I still think you need adequate firepower. And if you're Midfield and defence are doing so well. We need somebody like a, as you mentioned, the Spanish team of David Villar being left wing who gets a chance, is able to slap away the chance. You need someone that is clinical enough that when you do have those chances, you do score because Cornelius, whatever he was doing for that chance where he headed against the post and was tapping it in, that was the winner for them. Like If you have a clinical striker in that place, but even if you have a Darwin Nudes there, like it might be a goal, you know what I'm saying? Mm. Definitely, definitely. And Dan? Yeah, I wasn't impressed by Denmark. Um, I was same as Faye and Marco. I was quite impressed by Tunisia. Um, I thought they put up a good um performance. They probably deserved the win, in my opinion. Um, a bit unlucky to not win. And yeah, I think they were def Denmark are definitely one of the dark horses that people have um, you know, singled out. And again, I agree. I don't think they're dark horses. I don't believe in the dark horses stuff anyway, because 
if you look at the World Cup winners from the last God knows how many years, you know, none of these dark horses ever do anything. It's always the big nations that tend to win this tournament. So, um, yeah, I think that there's other teams that are not um, as, as uh, you know, I, w- I wouldn't put, put it this way. There's other teams that are not huge nations that I think are better than Denmark, like Uruguay, for example, mm. to you know, Nunes, mm. Valverde. They have a few players that I think could do something and they could go a bit further. Um, even Belgium, you know, I think Denmark, I mean, I think they're fodder, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, fair play. And Mark, I'm not going to let you get away with that um, Nunes comment. Um, <laughs> please, so, just refrain refrain from any further Darwin Nunes prop for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to hear, I'm not trying to hear all that, man. But um, yeah, I'm glad um, Tunisia gave a good account of themselves. Um, a much better account than, uh, you know, some of the uh, other African nations have done in the past couple of days. Um, looking at, uh, what's his name, um, Mendy in goal for, for Senegal, um, mainly, to be honest, he, he tried to let down the continent um, yesterday, but Tunisia today <laughs> said, um, Tunisia today said, no, 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 um, no, no, we're not going to, we're not going to let you do that, man. So um, very happy um, with their, with their performance. So, Moving on to the third game of the day, right? I thought this was quite an interesting one, Poland versus Mexico. I didn't really know who was going to win this one, and it did end up being another um, nil-nil. So hopefully that's the most the nil-nils done from this group stage so far. But unfortunately, it's the day that we have to we have to talk about it, right? So um, big thing in this game, Lewandowski misses a penalty to get himself his first World Cup finals goal, right? So... I was having a, deb- a debate about this in my group chat. People saying, oh, Poland, they're not very good, this, that, and the other. But are we really going to let this be an excuse for someone of Lewandowski's um, calibre? So, you know, do you guys think... I'll start... I'll, I'll go around the tables, right? I'll start with you, Marco. So do you think that, you know, this record that Lewandowski has um, is something that we can, you know, sort of excuse? Or do you think this is a real black mark against his career? No, of course not. It's definitely a black mark. Regardless of the teams that he faced... Um, I feel like as a top-level striker in Lewandowski, you get enough chances or at least a couple of chances a game where I expect you to bury. Um, the penalty today, I think, was... I don't want to say poor. It was well hit, but it wasn't directed well, in my opinion. like It was quite choreographed, but... I don't want to give him the caveat of he's playing with people from Poland because Poland have had some decent players around him. And he does name them. Nah, I got name them. Zelinski. Um, who is that winger that Klopp used to? Yeah. Okay. Um, That's three. There's a few. There's a few. There's a few that Blazik- has. Hold on, hold on. Blazikowski, I don't think has ever played at the World Cup. I just looked at Poland's it, records. Oh, exactly. Maybe not. Maybe not. But I still feel like there's enough quality there that if Saudi are getting goals, Lewandowski should be getting goals. Let's put it like that in it. Mm. In fact, let's, say, let's say let's say if Iran are getting goals, then yeah. <laughs> Why yeah, is the, the thing is the, the team quality thing I find it quite funny because um you know like if you look at these these the top caliber players, I think they just find a way normally, right? The clutch guys, right? If you look at someone like Gareth Bell, yeah. Um obviously this is was his first World Cup. Um uh, in you know what 64 years or something like that since 1958 but you look at him um 
in his performances at previous Euro European uh, Championship co uh, competitions. Wales are not a good team, right? They've got players uh, playing from the Championship, League One, etc., coming in and making a team. And Bale, uh, even Aaron Ramsey, at times, they step up to be counted, you know, when opportunity comes, right? And I feel like, you know, you look at nations like uh, Ghana and what Asamoah Jan has done in previous World Cups, um, uh, and you go, you can go through all of the African nations, you know, that are not necessarily fancy to do much at the World Cup. There's always a guy that steps up. Look at Ahmed Musa. You know, I think he scored like three goals against Argentina, just um, out of out of nothing for for Nigeria. Do you know what I mean? And so I think when you look at Poland and Lewandowski, and I'm looking at it and I'm saying, look, yeah, I know Poland. They're not the best team in the world, but when it's the qualifiers, this guy is slapping goals left, right, and centre. You're seeing him top scorer in European qualifiers almost every every um, qualification round. But then when it comes to the, the the big stage, he's not able to, 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 to come up trumps, you know. So I do think that's a major black mark for him. And I, I definitely will be, um, you know, looking at him a bit closer uh, when it comes to these high-pressure situations because, you know, he had a penalty today and it was a, it was a poor take. You know, that's, that's, that's penny to put your team with three points in the group stages, opening game, Let's get that win under our under our belts, and it's a, it's it's just a poor take. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I I think it's a it's a mark, but I think people also need to understand Poland are not good. So I do I, I do hear the <laughs> argument about his teammates. Poland are definitely not good. <laughs> just naming Blavikovsky and players who are who are basically who are mid players. <laughs> not good. Hey, Lucas um, Pichek, man, it's not enough for you. Yeah. Hey, no, nah, they're not good, man. And then and then I look at players that have played in far superior teams. I think. They make a big thing out the Lewandowski thing, and I, I believe it is a big thing that some of his quality hasn't scored a World Cup goal. But this is his second World Cup. Mm. You know, Bro, Rooney has played. It's like his fourth game. game. It's his fourth Rooney, game. Rooney has played three World Cups and scored one goal, and it was a penalty against Uruguay and a loss. You know, mm. so um, I mean, I don't know how many. I think Aguero got one World Cup goal. You know, I'm telling all of these men. I'm telling all of these men to hold it, man. I'm telling all of these men to that's, hold that's, it. Exactly. Yeah. I, I was back. I was I was back. I saw it this afternoon, and I'm guessing it must have been from your chat that he came into my chat and started doing this. It was Mush. Mush came in and he was talking about Lewandowski, and he was like, "Ah, oh, mm. you know that guy needs to hold it. He ain't done." I was like, "Bro, he's played three games in the World Cup." You can't just be like, oh, he doesn't show up to the World Cup. He's played in one World Cup. Like, mm. what are you on about? <laughs> like, mm. He played like Senegal and Colombia last time. Like, these are decent teams. Obviously, you expect him to score, but he's only played in one World Cup. Obviously, today, he should have done much better. So this criticism is valid now, but you, man, were doing it before the game had started. So you know, I, I wasn't. Games. I wasn't. I wasn't. When you miss a pen, we miss a pen. We miss a pen. I'm rising on you, man. That's yeah. It. yeah, I mean, now that he's missed a pen and he's cost his team the win, then yeah, 100%. I guess the lights are on him now. But I'm going to just say that he's going to smash Saudi up. And um, mm. this may come back to bite me. But yeah, I, I think he'll flog Saudi. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So um, what did you guys make of Mexico in that game as well? You know, I thought they looked kind of kind of lively, um, but I'm not. I'm, I think again, it's the it's the point around firepower up top, right? I think they had um, quite a few chances to to really score and win, but I don't think they put that quality up top. Do you know who they reminded me of? Wolves, like loads of 
play well, loads of good play, loads of tenacity in and around. What are you saying? They're the, tech, the second most technical team in, in, in the World Cup, yeah? Hey, brother. <laughs> I'm thinking that back a long time. I can't even run with that anymore. But now they seem like a good guy. Herman Longzano was quite lively. That Vega guy, who I, Carlos Vega, um, never heard of him before, but he was quite lively in himself. Um, I'm surprised they didn't start with Val Jimenez, but I don't rate him too much as a striker at this moment in time. He's so. in, he, he's 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 unfit. He's not been fit mm, all season, okay. so that's probably why. Um, but yeah, they mm. seem like they've got a little bit about them. Like the South American teams tend to be very tenacious, like to win the ball a lot, get around, are very energetic, but just not clinical enough for me. Mm. Yeah, fair play, fair play. Anything uh, you want to add on that, Dan and uh, Fahi? Yeah, I just wonder if... Um... Other Polish people, if you want it, still. Matthias Glink? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> All right, man. I, I do your thing. I, I'm just wondering if um, this is going to be Ochoa's last World Cup or if he's actually going to rise it to 41 and play in the one he's... <laughs> I think he's got he's got to run it back, man. He's got to run it back because... Got one more in it's in... He's in Mexico as well the next yeah. one. So, you know, I know that the powers he normally gets for the World Cup is going to be multiplied by 10. Um, because that guy, he's he's actually a World Cup living legend for me, man. Like, you, I don't think anyone has seen him play a game of club football in their entire lives. No, but never. Every four years, he just comes and he rises it with at least one superhuman performance for um, Mexico, man. So... You know, we're going to ask Lewandowski. He needs to rise it because Ochoa is showing him up. Um, yeah, so final game of the day. Um, saw another one of, I think, the heavily backed favourites um, for this tournament. So France ended up being 4-1 winners against um, Australia after Australia took the lead. Um, there's more injury worries for France. I think Lucas Hernandez went off injured. It's looking like... Um, it was a bad injury to his knee. Um, I believe after holding a hezzy off Australia's uh, right winger. Um, and his brother came on and I think put in a stellar performance. Um, Much better. I was, I was a bit surprised that he didn't start in the first place. Um, but France, I think, you know, Dan, you said it as well. They, they probably looked like the most impressive team of the tournament so far. I don't think Australia were bad at all today. But um, France had too much quality, man. Ended up putting um, four past them. So, Dan, I'll open the floor up to you because I know you've got some um, Mbappe love to give right now. Pause. Damn, yeah, pause, pause on that, my brother. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, at first I was um, I was quite sceptical of the formation um, on the selection that the Shams went with. And I felt like, you know, first 10 minutes weren't good. It was the first 10, 15 minutes I didn't like from France at all. I felt Rabio was way too far away from Chiamini. I felt Griezmann was um, too far away from him. I felt Chiamini was on his own in midfield, basically. Um, Pavard, as a right-back, I think, yeah, it's worked at the last World Cup, but, you know, at club football, he really struggles at, at, at right-back. And um, then Luis Hernandez, I prefer him as a centre-back than left-back. So I was like, you know, I don't know. This this just seems a bit off to me. And they didn't start well. Um, and then, as you said, that injury kind of changed things. And when Fer Hernandez came on, you know, the outlook of the team change. I think, one, he was getting up and down and he was providing quality on his passes and he was making good overlapping runs and he had a good synergy and connection with Mbappe. And then um, Griezmann was coming closer to Chouamini, became like a viable option in between the lines for him. And um, Rabiot was doing 
you know, something that Marco mentioned earlier, the third man runs to disrupt um, Australia's defence. And I think Australia were actually not terrible. I felt they were very compact or tried to be at least. And they're quite, were quite disciplined because we've seen teams in this tournament and I would say Iran that were not compact or disciplined and got absolutely panned. Whereas I thought, you know, Australia at least were compact and disciplined and tried to be. But France ultimately had too much quality and it was mainly Mbappe and Dembele for me. Um, I think that 1v1 ability just creates that space. And then, you know, you have Griezmann that can pick up the scraps. You can, you see Rabiot running off the ball. And then you have Griez um, you have Giroud as the big man in the box if you just want to cross it in. Um, Fea Hernandez was overlapping. So they had a lot of avenues to hurt Australia. And ultimately, um, they they really brought, you know, that, if that was a very, very complete performance, they, they probably could have scored six, maybe even seven, like, 4-1, it's, it's, a, it's a good scoreline, but they could have got more. And they were good They were good value for their money, you know. Um, so far, I think that's been... So far, since that's up, that's the most impressive sort of 70, 80 minutes I've seen from a team. Um, I felt they were in complete control and created chances en masse. So, yeah. Uh, and Mbappe looks ready to, to, to do it, you know. I think... Mm. There were some question marks with a lot of the of injuries they had to keep players. Kante, Pogba not there. Is Mbappe going to rise it? Is he going to be... And he looks like he's he's sharp. I think so far, France, for me, the best team I've seen in terms of performance level. And Mbappe has been the best player I've seen so far at this World Cup. So, mm, yeah. Mm, 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 nice, nice. Um, so, as well, we have um, Giroud equaling France's all-time top scorer um, with Thierry Henry himself. So, you know, I think... For someone of his talent level, I have to say that Giroud has absolutely maximised his career to the fullest for me. I think he's that's off the back of a, a league title of AC Milan, won a league title in France, won a Champions League um, at Chelsea, won Europa League at Chelsea, won a couple of FA Cups at Arsenal, and contributing in uh, a lot of those finals as well. So... You know, this is a stellar, stellar career from from the big man. Um, and I think I've seen it on one of the listeners' questions, um, really. So do you guys think that he actually is a better foil for Mbappe than someone like Benzema, who um, has obviously been ruled out of the World Cup by, by injury? Um, I'll yeah, I'd say so. Go on, I'd say yeah. so, sure. Um, yeah, the, the reason I'd say so is with Giroud, he, he pretty much has one way of playing, right? And the, his style of football means that defend like he he occupies the space in front of defenders, which then allows space for Mbappe to kind of run into and do his own thing. And with Benzema, he's not like that. Benzema can do more. He, he's not a one-trick pony, if that makes sense. So I'm not trying to undermine the quality Giroud has, but Giroud has a particular style of football and he sticks to that. And for that reason, that actually suits Mbappe more. Because Mbappe just knows what he's going to get. He's going to get the centre-backs occupying Giroud, which then means there's going to be space available for Mbappe to do what he wants. And that's ultimately what ends up happening. And obviously, Mbappe's even come out and said, even after the beef they had last year, he's like, you know what? Giroud's like super important to the team right now. I'm enjoying playing with him. And I think he's just seeing that the amount of freedom that he's actually getting with Giroud occupying the space up front. So I would say that he plays better with Giroud. Um, I don't even think he's a controversial statement. Mm. Yeah, fair play, man. Fair play. And I guess, you know, Marco, with another injury to Lucas Hernandez um, on top, do you still see France um, as one of the, the key favourites for 
this tournament because I think their injury list. So if we reel it off, we've got Benzema, Unkunku, Pogba, Kante, Varane. Um, we missed the first game through injury. Um, I think he might be back for one of the group stage games. Um, and then we've now lost, uh, well, we, they've now lost um, Lucas Hernandez on top of that as well. So, you know, their, their, their depth, I think, is dwindling a little bit. But do you think that they've still got enough strength and depth to really push on for a, a charge to, to win this World Cup? Um, yes, I do. And I just guess to go back to Dan's point, I feel like Lucas is the better left back out of the two brothers. Um with the current depth that they have at centre-back, with the fact that Koundé was able to come off the bench and who's the starter for Barcelona and will probably start for quite a few teams in the Prem, probably a few international teams as well. Um, the fact that Shuameni had a replacement in, who came off the bench again for Shuameni in midfield? I can't remember who it was. Um, there was like a black centre midfield. Fofana. 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 Then also Coleman coming in for Dembele, who, as good as he was, Coleman can somewhat replicate some of the things he does in terms of 1v1 and getting to the byline, not to the same level of quality, but is also able to trouble defenders. I feel like they have the least drop-off between their first 11 and their second tier, guys. And that's just saying off head. So I might be completely wrong on that. But it feels like that at the moment. Obviously, if mm. there's a massive injury to an Mbappe, then yeah, that changes a lot of what's said. But at this moment in time, I feel like they do have enough depth. Yeah, fair play, man. Fair play. And I think, you know, there is um, a bit of a defensive um, susceptibility that France have. You know, I think um, the losses to um, Kante. Um, especially, is is a big blow for them. I know Chiomeni was in there and I think he played quite well um, today, but I think the commentators were gushing um, a bit too much about Chiomeni for me. Um, I thought he was just okay and did his job. But his midfield partner, Rabio, got a goal and an assist today. Um, but me, overall, I actually wasn't that impressed with his um, with his play. And I think if they play a better side than Australia, um, they might get found out a little bit. Obviously, um, Fahi, I think you mentioned, um, or is it Marco, I think you mentioned that um, they played Denmark and got um, run ragged um, in that game not so long ago. And I can see that being a possibility, um, again, in this tournament, if they play some better opposition. So, Dan, what, what's your thoughts on their, I guess, their midfield makeup um, with these injuries as well? Yeah, I think in midfield, uh, you know, Rabio, and I'll try to be objective, but I feel like... You know, with the ball, not much. But then Chiamini was so good really, that um he controlled that that game. And I think he was better than just okay, to be honest. This guy completely controlled the game, um, won most of the duels, he won the second balls. Um, I feel like Mbappe and Dembele don't do much defensive work, so he was covering wide and um, centrally. I think it was really a strong performance from Chiamini, and um I think they need to bring Kamavinga in that midfield. I think Kamavinga and Triamini, they should just go with that um, for, for this tournament, in my opinion. Um, and I see what Rabio gives in some of these games, but in some games, they're just going to have to, he's going to have to have a partner in there that actually wants to play football with him rather than just making third man runs. So um, let's see. I think international football is funny because Kamavinga doesn't play that much for Madrid, 
But then you 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 have you have someone like Maguire who can you know rise up for England uh, whenever he plays. So and he don't play much for United at the moment. So um, as long as you have um, good partnerships across the pitch, you can you can you can do well. Um, and I would say that they need to they need to try to find a way to get Chouamani partner in there because the way they played against Australia, I agree, is not sustainable against a team that has um, probably not equal amount of threats as them because not many teams have, but. Even just a few more threats across the pitch, centrally and wide, I think they will be in trouble because the wingers don't track and Germany is not alone in midfield. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Yeah, fair enough, man. Fair enough. So, um, let me, I'll just ask you guys a question, right? So, based on the teams that you've seen, obviously, we've seen Argentina. Um, we've seen England, Team France. Um, I think uh, of the the bigger sides to, to play, um, we've got Brazil, uh, Portugal, um, Spain, Germany as well. Um, I'm not going to forget them, but Dan, um, before you get on to me. Um, but uh, of these teams that you've seen so far, do you think any of them can end up being uh, the eventual winners? Mm, I'll uh, go I think. I think France maybe England maybe, but I'm not hundred percent convinced by them. Which is what I was saying on the on the um, on the Twitter Spaces earlier. It's the it's the combination of having a strong defense and a strong midfield pairing that I don't really see in both of those teams right now. Even though they have great attacking talent and they've scored you know a lot of goals in their first two um, in their first games. Um, I, I I need to see all the teams I think to to make a better assessment, but. You know, I just feel like Chouamini alone in midfield. And then I think, you know, Deschamps is going to bring Varane in at some point. So maybe he should, he's better off sticking with Konate and Upamecano. You know, I don't know what's going to what happen. What about Saliba, brother? What about Saliba? He's been preferred. So, um, you know, that's that's for the, Why not? the manager. Hey, listen, we're not, we're not getting into... Yeah. Uh, Where's he gone? He's gone. Hey, he's man, he's man, he sent, he sent ah. German away with the... The pressure is getting worse. Um, <laughs> now, but to be fair, um, I don't think Saliba's been a regular for France at all, um, really. And I thought... Uh, no, Yeah, and, and I think... Mind you, it makes sense that you've the more experienced defender, in it, so... You know, like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm asking the question. I'm just asking. I think. I think. Sorry, I think sorry, with, uh, what was the question? <laughs> they were saying what about Saliba, but I, I was saying, um, I was saying this as well earlier that I think when I think Upamecano was always going to start, 
um, this game with the injuries that they have. And then I think if you're looking for the best partner to Upamakana, it makes sense for the guy who has been his club partner um, for, you know, three plus seasons um, at Leipzig, right? So, you know, even though um, Kunde, um, Kanate and Saliba were the main options, I think Kunde is one who's been favoured mostly. Um, I think it was Kunde and Varane, that was a partnership that Deschamps has been using. Um, and I think with Varane being out, um, it makes sense that he went Konate Upamakana. So I don't think it's necessarily a slight on um, Saliba or, or Kunde for not um, getting But what do you there. think happens when Varane's fit? That's that's what I was um, touching. I think he was going to put Varane back in, which I, I don't think is a good thing to do. I think you I need think to... Be a bad, bad decision still. I think they need to have, you know, established connections and keep those connections, which is why I think they need to bring Kamavinga in fast. Because I see... If they, I think, if they want to be strong, they have to have Kamavinga, Tremini midfield, and have a strong centre back pairing. Um, if they start, you know, you know, rotating and stuff, I don't know. I don't know if that's a good, good, good base to work off. Um, but I mean, England and France look um, the best two teams so far. Um, so, but I'm not 100 percent convinced by them. I think, as you said, France defensively, bit. Um, I see gaps. I see holes. And England, I mean, I think they. Yes, yeah, the same. I mean, they, they conceded good chances against Iran, I think, to be honest. And I was saying, I think on the day, they definitely need to step it up when it comes to USA, who are going to press the life out of them in Leeds fashion. And Wells, who... I don't think Wells are a good side yet, but they have Bell, who's so clutch for them. Like, who knows what he could do on this given day. If he gets up against Maguire one time and just gives him a little shuffle, like, who knows? Yeah, but games like that, it's all about passion as well. It's not just about ability. It's like Wales against England, it's, it's, it's going to be like a passion affair, like one of them weird ones. So you, you never know what can happen in that game. Um, you know, Joe, Rod, Joe, Rod, Joe Rodon's playing the game of his life. Bro, know. who's that bozo that plays that left mid? The one that's in like League One. What's his name? He's like, sure, he looks like a rugby player. Worrell, maybe. Nah, is it Williamson? Something. It, that's that's as good that's as good as guests uh, as you're going to get to be honest. When you're <laughs> thinking about Welsh surnames, man. So, so yeah, fair fair, fair enough. Um, so uh, I understand we've got loads of listeners' questions actually. So let's try and get through as many of them um, as we can. So I'm going to start. I'm just going to go down the list and start um, with uh, the ones I can see. So we've got Owen Sorrell um, from the NSO. He goes, does do England have the best squad at the World Cup? Um, hmm. Fahi, I'll, I'll give this one to you. I, w- I, think, I think the reason why people may say so is because of the familiar reality. Familiarity? What's wrong with I think because we're familiar with the players that we got, right? So the f- we're familiar with the England like, squad. So we just we feel comfortable with all those names. Whereas obviously with the other teams, we're probably not as comfortable. So for that reason, people are going to turn around and be like, oh, England have got like a really good squad. But really and truly, it's actually ignorance based on not knowing the actual depth of the other squads and not knowing all the German players, not knowing all the French players, not knowing all the Brazilian players. Do you get what I mean? So I think we've got one of, like England have got one of the best setups in terms of squads. Is it the best? I don't think so. But again, I wouldn't be able to like accurately give an answer because I don't know every fucking good team. So um, Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I think it's definitely be it'll, it'll be up there because if you look at the options we've got off the bench or England have got, why do I keep saying we? It's not we. I, listen, I'm not yeah, let me just clarify. But if you look at the options that England have got off the bench, there's a lot of options, a lot of options. Mm. So, I, yeah, it's 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 up there. Yeah, fair play, fair play. Um, yeah, I think I think it's top three for me. Top three, I think um, Brazil have obviously. I think they've got the best squad. Right, if you just look at the, you know, if you go down the goalkeepers, they probably got, you know, um, two of the top five keepers and, and the number one, I think, undisputed in Allison. Um, you look at attack, you got Neymar, Vinny Jr., um, Gabriel Jesus, Charleston, Rafinha, you know, um, Rafinha, uh, you know, Martinelli. Um, who I think yeah, would you probably be, you, you know, <laughs> um, who, who, who would be, I think Martinelli would probably be starting for a lot of these nations, um, at this World Cup, you know, but he's you know, probably what third or fourth choice, um, in attack, uh, for Brazil, um, off the left, you know, Rodrigo as well for Madrid, who's having a great season. Um, you look at their midfield, you've got Lucas Paqueta, you've got Fabinho, you've got Casemiro, you know, and, and and all of that, so it's just, um, it's a madness. Uh, uh, for Brazil at the moment, so you know, very tough squad to get into. So, um, I think they'd have to be the favorites, but after that, I think England can really tussle with anyone else, um, to be honest. So, so yeah, I think, um, they might not have the best squad, but it's definitely one of the best. I agree. Um, uh, I'm gonna give this one to you, Marco, and this is from um, Asa from the Touchlines and Touchdown podcast. He says, um, how is it gonna feel when this U.S. uh, men's national team? takes at least a point off England on Friday. <laughs> oh, man. Um, like I said, yeah, earlier on, I'm not too impressed by England. I feel like there's quite... Well, what Dan was alluding to when I was nodding away, um, I think there's still quite a few gaps. They let Iran score two goals against them. And in my opinion, yeah, US should have put away that Welsh game, but they like to play like a very, very high tempo game throughout. Like they tried to play a 90 minute game in 60 minutes instead of just tempering themselves and like understanding there's more to the game. And maybe that is the way the coaches set them up or the fact that it's hot out there and they're running out of steam. But it seems like towards the 60th minute mark of when Kiefer Moore came on, Kiefer Moore was fisting them up. I was so surprised. Like, He's a decent level striker, plays in the Premier League, but the things that he was doing to them, he was moving like Giroud himself, Giroud reincarnate, you know. But I'm not sure how it pans out. I feel like England have too much going forward for them. Um, in Saka, Kane, Rashford and Sterling, they all look great. Um, Fahi has just put on something, though, so Kane might even be out of that. Um, mm. That means shaping up with uh, Rashford or something. That might help England, you know. I can't. That might help England. I don't think he'll start. Rest- I think he'll start Wilson, innit? I think he starts Wilson up top with Sack on the right, Sterling on the left. Um, Wilson isn't the same player as Kane, innit? He doesn't offer that dropping deeper and playmaking thing. So that kind of like kills the chemistry that Kane and Sterling had, where they're interchanging quite a bit, and Sterling's going through the middle. Um, how that pans out in an actual match, we're yet to see you because I don't think Wilson and Sterling and even Saka have played a prolonged period together. 
or a match together even for a long period of time. Um, no, no, I'm hating to be fair. Eng England need Kane to play because, you know, he's the one that feeds the ball into Saka and, and Sterling. If he doesn't play, who's feeding them that ball? Yeah, the midfield not good enough. I don't think they have... That, they don't even have a playmaker in midfield, in my opinion, that's able to do that and dictate, unless he brings in the Madison to compensate for that, but Southgate doesn't seem like that type of manager. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I, f I feel like what you said about USA is right, man. I, I, I can see them trying to press England. They have a good 20-minute spell and then they'll fade. And England have England have the bench. We just talked about that squad quality and, and quality. They'll have the bench. They'll bring on the likes of Grudis, the likes of Rashford late in the game. I think they'll dust USA, to be honest. USA trying mm. to play a football game in full quarters. Not, that's not how it works, buddy. That's not how it works. <laughs> with, with the added time that they've got on going on right now, you you really you really should be preparing for 105 minutes. In this game. Yeah, the energy they had yesterday, though, they were moving Bro, nuts. Yeah. They, the they play like Leeds, man. Yeah. They play like Leeds. Exactly, they play like Leeds. But there's no ad breaks in this. There's no timeouts. There's no. There's no timeouts. Yeah, that's what Dan's yeah. trying to say, man. You're gonna have to run no. yourself into the ground the whole week. No, no, no Gatorade there's, towels, no nothing. There's, there's no <laughs> halftime show, I'm afraid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'm gonna ask these next two questions to you, Dan. I know this, uh, the second one probably trigger you, but I'm gonna ask them together because I thought that's quite, they're quite funny. Um, so the first one's from Josh Benenock, and he says, if Mbappe gets two World Cup winners medals by age 24. Taking into the account the trajectory of his career currently, where does that put him in terms of legacy compared to his peers and compared to the greats? And then the next question is from Ducks on Quacks 9, and he says, is Mbappe a Rebor Alcott? <laughs> I swear, this, this, this guy, I've always, he always says the Rebor Walcott stuff. Bro, you're talking about the top, like, you know, 30 top five player in the world, probably top three. No, I mean, where where does it put his legacy is a good question. He's 24 years old, and that's crazy to think. Uh, he's already achieved so much in the game, um, and he's still got so much time left. Yeah, I can't lie. It's, I think when it's all said and done, his career is going to look very peak. It's going to look very, very peak. Um, he's already achieved so much, and he's only 24, and I don't see him slowing down anytime soon. Um, so I think it's difficult to make that, you know, that, that comparison now because his career is not done, but two World Cups, you know, many, many legends haven't haven't achieved that. Many, many legends. So, um, and I think if he starts getting Champions Leagues on top, um, if he grabs a couple Ballon d'Ors um, in the next couple of years, it looks like, you know, Ronaldo and Messi's um, era is over. Um, Neymar's also fading away. I don't think Neymar will play for many more years. Um, you know, Mbappe can really stack um, you know, Ballon d'Ors and probably Champions Leagues. Um, he's probably going to go around Madrid, who have Camavinga, Truamini, <laughs> probably by Jude Bellingham. I mean, yeah, his career is going to look crazy when it's all said and done, to be honest. Um, that, that much that much I'm sure about. Mm. Yeah, fair play, man. Fair play. Um, it's, it's a crazy one because he's done so much by, um, by age 23. Um, I think so. You know, you just see the 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 end is nowhere near in sight, right? Because like, imagine what he's doing when he's 26, 27, and supposedly in his in his prime um, years, right? If if that's still how it works, so 
um, yeah, definitely an interesting career to follow. Might not um, out top, top goal scorer of the World Cup as well. I think he's got five or six goals at the World Cup now. He's only played eight games. I mean, there's records that he can go go and get. Records that Ronaldo and Messi didn't get, at the, especially at, on the international stage. Yeah, so he's on five. I think um, Pele has the record for most goals scored at the World Cup finals by 24, which was seven. So, you he's know, he could probably... Fraudulent goals. Don't even get me started on this. Like, honestly, just let's not count Pele. Come on. Yeah, but so so that's the official record. I think the World Cup goals count, right? Those aren't goals in a park, yeah. So um <laughs> so you can count so you can we can count those. Um and so yeah, he's two away from equaling that record with Pele and I've, I think I'll probably back him to probably even get that before the end of the group stages, um, to be honest. So, you know, the world is his oyster um at the moment and yeah, I'm sure there's gonna be more more records that he's going to break along the way. So, um, next question from Count Draxula. He said, who is the best player to have the worst World Cup legacy? Um, and he's given examples of Rooney, Messi, Benzema, Zlatan, etc. So, mm, interesting one. Interesting it's a tough one, one man. Mm. Yeah, I think, I, I can't lie to you, Rooney, Rooney and Aguero Rooney have got um, a lot of blood on their hands, personally. I, I think uh, Aguero more than Rooney, because I can still mm. at least remember having Rooney having a couple of good performances, whereas mm. Aguero, he's never actually done anything in the World Cup. Mm. Like, ever. I, th I think he only scored two goals and um, one or two goals in the 2018 one, I believe, but... Again, I feel like, you know, in general, on the international stage, his record is shocking. So, mm. Aguero, I would probably put Aguero in there. I think Zlatan has got actually quite good international record. I think at the Euros, he's got a couple of great goals for Sweden. But then he plays for Sweden, man. It's the same as Lewandowski. Like, I'm, I don't, I'm not holding guys that play for nations like that. Yeah. You know? I'm not. I'm not putting them against. Um, you know, I'm putting them, putting them to the guillotine. Um, it's more the people that. Playing for big nations who have the chance of winning, don't really do much. Um, yeah. I would say, I, I would say one, one more actually, a bit of an outside shout. I think Fernando Torres disappointing on the international international stage, in my opinion, considering he played for such a great Spain team. Um, but then David mm. Villa was amazing, isn't it? So and he's their top top goal scorer. So um, and Fernando Torres at least had one Euros. I don't know. I think at the World Cup, I'm voting. I'm voting Rooney, man. Mm. Mm. I'm not going to argue with that. Marco, no. any any different? Um, no, I was going to side with Kun, especially because of how I view Argentina as a team. Um, but yeah, I don't mind sticking with Rooney still. Mm. Yeah. Um, so this question came up before uh, from Salty Bruno. It's like, am I overreacting or is Giroud a better foil for Mbappe and Griezmann than Benzema? So I think that one was answered by... Um, Fahi. So uh, this one from Rex Gunners. He says, is winning a World Cup more valuable than a UCL? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You get in your lifetime. Or lucky, if you're mm. lucky, four. And that's if you're mm. selected for every single one. Or literally four chances in 16 years to win something. And that's not something that happens for many people. Like, we can think of all the legends that haven't won them, that have UCLs, like Gerard, who has UCL, doesn't have a World Cup. There's so many that currently don't. And 
yeah, like, it's just one of those things that would be nice on your mantelpiece and not many people have it. The rarity adds, I guess, another tier to it. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I, de- I definitely think it's more prestigious, man. You only played that, just... as you said, four, every four years. And then it's only seven, you might only play three games. Like it's not even yeah. like um, the Champions League <laughs> where you you play them twice or whatever, bro. The chances are, the chances of winning it, yeah, it's it's, it's very it's very it's very minimal for mm. a lot of players. And, and basically, it's like there's so much that has to go into it because you know you might not even get selected in your squad, um, to be honest, to go to go play. And um, yeah, so I I agree with what you both. Um, what you both have said. Um, so, yeah, Camtana25, he said, who's looked most convincing thus far? Um, so, you know, I think we've touched on that one um, as well. Uh, Ari with a H has said, talk about the messy, musty class he put on against Oil FC. I thought it was supposed to be his World Cup. So that one has been... I tell people I'm funny. Yeah, you must, crazy. You man are nasty, man. <laughs> but keep going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So Ranch, Ranch Dingus has said, does Ochoa have one more in him in 2026 in Mexico? I think that yeah. one has been touched on. Um, that guy, Daryl. So this guy, he's speaking my energy here. Back free tax Romero. Talk to me. Let's get into this, man. Let's get into this. Let's I'm trying cook, to, man. Let's fucking I'm trying cook. to cook, man. I'm trying to cook something, man. I'm trying to cook something. So, so listen, Dan, right? I'm going to give you the floor on this one because you can tell the people now why this back free tax is very real and why it applies extra to this Romero, this Romero Bozo, I'm going to call him. Let's go. I mean, we, we debate about this in the Touchdown Fuckers football group chat quite a lot because we always say the back free tax is real. The best defenders are the ones, or, you know, where you can see they're the best defenders if they're playing a four in a high line where they're playing isolated situations, defending um, on their own, um, you know, managing a high line. Um, that's a higher level of difficulty in terms of defending than playing deeper, having more defenders around you to help you if your actions, if you get a skin passed, and your, your, your right back is, you know, five yards away from you rather than 10, 15. He might help you recover. Your mistakes might get masked. And um, I feel with Romero, and, and Romero is, you know, he's probably a decent, decent little player. But this guy plays in the back three for a team that, you know, purely wants to contain um, the, um, the opposition and then hit them on the counter-attack for, like, the majority of the games. And it's not really, we're not exaggerating when we're saying that. We watch Spurs play the likes of Wolves at home and sit back and trying to hit them on the counter and sitting there with five men, you know. So the way Romero defends is very aggressive. It's very um, very tenacious, um, probably overly aggressive, to be honest. And in the back three, it looks good because if he doesn't if he doesn't get the tackle, if he doesn't get his man, there's usually, you know, one or two teammates around him that can win that second ball, get that second ball. He, so he doesn't have to be super clean or coordinated in his actions. He just has to do his actions to in order to look half decent. When you play in the back four and you're you're trying to press man and he just gets away from you a little bit, you have created space for him and someone else to run him behind. So I feel like whenever I've seen him in the back four, to be honest, and even I think new what's that Nuno Espirito Santos played back four and I I didn't think he was looking good. Whenever I've seen him in the back four, he just looked kind of shaky to me. So um, there's still some way to go for him in order to be considered at the top table in the Premier League. You cannot talk to guys that are playing the back four. 
in my opinion, um, because as of right now, we have not seen him play well for a consistent number of games in the back four, in a high line, in an expensive team. Can he pass the ball? People say he can. Yeah, when 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 you when you pamming it into space for Son to run into, can you pass it between the lines when you know the spaces are smaller? It's more difficult to get the ball through. You know, there's some there's some guys that in his age range and younger who he can't talk to right now, in my opinion. And those guys are it's Konate played tonight, Upamecano as well, um, Saliba. These are all guys that are rank, I rank higher than them because they play in expensive teams and they defend high lines. Here, here, man. Here, here. Um, I think any, a lot of the plays with Romero, sorry to cut you off, Coops. I think a lot of the plays with Romero has to do with his physical attributes and just, you know, like, you know, the, the strength, the pace, the power, aerial ability, all that stuff. But yeah, you're both right in what you're trying to kind of allude to. He's not really shown it in, in normal game situations. He's not really doing it in the back four. And even when he does it, play in the back five, He's kind of just like with the ball. He's not really expected to do much. It's, it, so, yeah, you're, you can't really judge him properly as of yet. So the amount of praise that he gets isn't right because we've not seen him properly. I think you can judge after the end of this season. You'll have a real good idea of what level he's at. I think he, he's clearly got good attributes, but how's he going to fare in the back four? And how is it going to fare in a team that plays more expansive football? It's a really good point. I think yeah. a lot about defending is IQ. And I don't think he has it in it. Like some of the best defenders, yeah. Let's even take Danny Blind, for example, who isn't a magnificent, magnificent defender, isn't that fast. But going up against him is quite hard for a lot of attackers because he's smart enough to position himself, knowing when to be aggressive, knowing when to sit off. And right now, I feel like Romero and this... I guess I want to discount it because he's young. I want to give him like a little bit of a blag because he's young. He uses his physical attributes way too much. He's trying to impose his will on the other attacker and trying to make sure that every single time you get the ball, I'm going to bam you. I'm going to bam you. You don't always need to do that. You don't always need to be that front-footed. Sometimes you know a defender's going to try to spin you or be smart with the way that they play, try to create some space. You sit off. And with your physical attributes, if you sit off, you put yourself in a comfortable position. We've seen someone do that for a number of years now, Van Dijk, who's physically imposing, but he doesn't always need to challenge people. Sometimes it's just, let me sit off you a little bit. I'm going to make sure that all your options are gone. Obviously, it hasn't been working that well this season, but in the past, I'm going to make sure all of your other options are gone. I'm going to make sure you can't get past me. And at the same time, I'm going to make you have to make a mistake yourself. Like, you know that I'm stronger than you. You know that I'm faster than you. So, actually try to do something and let's see what you're about and mm. sometimes that I guess now can help you as a defender and at this moment in time at 23 24 he doesn't have it does that ever improve when you're playing in the back five and you know that there's somebody that's going to be sweeping behind you or you're playing in a Conte system that is so deep that you hardly get tested in one-on-one -on -one situations and like Dan said I feel like the best defenders are those that defend one-on-one -on -one in the high line because you repeatedly have to shepherd defenders and jockey defenders, sorry, shepherd attackers and jockey attackers out of dangerous situations and that improves you as a defender. Mm. Mm. You see, see, Marco, I, I, I agree with your overall IQ point. The only thing I disagree with is the age thing. I think he, 24 is a good age and there's defenders out yeah, there, you know, that are younger than him, more mature, smarter, 
you know, better in their actions. You know, if they want to put Miramel at the top table, that's who we have to compare him to. And right now, it's looking it's looking shaky, baby. <laughs> I guess it's because <laughs> I've never viewed him as that top table. He's not the the ilk of Saliba's, Kanate's, Ben White's, like that level. And I'm surprised that I'm saying Ben White myself. Don't worry about that. Um but I don't think hey, he we is. heard you, man. We heard you, man. Don't <laughs> worry, don't worry, Marco. I know it. That one I'll down. Give, I'll give your boy his props, man. He's been doing well still. Um, mm. you know what? I don't want to say this and be a bit too cheeky, but I don't even know if he's better than the best version of Gomez, Joe Gomez. And that's a lot of that's a lot to be said because we don't even rate Joe Gomez. What what is the best version of Joe Gomez? Exactly, <laughs> The Which version are we talking? Comes and goes, like, and mm. even for a long period, like Joe Gomez does look better than Romero, and we criticize him. So sometimes you do need to take a look at your, I guess, the way you value players and the way you rate players, and sometimes just be a bit humble, innit? Mm. Yeah, it's looking. What, so one one thing I've, just... I've got one question though. Go Sorry to interrupt you. I've got one question. Why do them man call him Kuti when his name is Chris? <laughs> Boy, I don't know, man. You, you see these Spurs, yeah, man. They it. love it. They love a nickname, man. They love a nickname. I don't understand it, bro. It's like, like talking about Richie Lad, you know. And now bro, they're talking it, about. They said R nine. I'm so upset. They got a man whose whose name is one syllable. They gave him a nickname that made it longer in Sonny. Right? They call him Sonny. <laughs> just just call him by his name, man. It's 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 a strange, 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 strange bunch of guys over there. Um. In North London, but uh, yeah, so far he just sent this as well, and he said that suspected cruciate ligament rupture for Lucas Hernandez, who will now undergo an MRI scan. So that is looking scary for him. Um, wishing him a speedy recovery, um, obviously. So, uh, the last few questions here. So, uh, this one from Stosh GN. So, uh, he said, How overrated is Kuti Romero? So, we just covered that. As well, um, Starbound UK says, Where should Herb Renault go for his next manage- management pit stop? Thoughts, please. So, I'm going to take this one. I need them to shift from one green, white, green to another green, white, green um, in Africa. <laughs> you know, it's been nine years since we won the AFCON. I need to see that again. Um, I think we got the players, uh, but boy, I don't think the, the Nigerian FA are up to, up to standard, to be honest. He's probably used to receiving his pay um on time on the on the, the 28th of every month i'm not sure the nigerian fa will stick to that so probably unlikely um that we do see him make the the move over but that's something that i would love to i would love to see man um you know what though Coops? one thing i'd say about that agree that like obviously he's he's done a lot and obviously he's done great with the afcon but i don't think his style of management and like the way he sets his team up will suit you guys and like it'll be what you want to see especially with the type of players nigeria have i, d- I don't think it would work you think i think we got the high energy though we got the high energy right you got Osimen up there you know him pressing you that's scary you know that's a scary proposition you got lookman um you got iwobi in there i don't know i think i think we got players to work with Personally, I think mm. we've got players to work with. So, you know, I think we've got some random Portuguese guy in charge at the moment. Um, he's not been paid in four months, so I don't think he's going to last uh, 
too much longer. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. I think there's going to be a vacancy coming up. Man. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, hey, it's pay the brother. Pay the brother, man. Can't yes. lie, there, but no guy. I know he wants his paycheck, bro. He was LV'd out on the sidelines, bro. LV'd that the money, Chris, bro. bro, the Chris White shirt, man, as well. So, bro, did you see they've got they've got a bank holiday tomorrow because they beat Argentina. This guy's yeah. gonna get paid shitloads of money. Yeah, he's he's loving life, man. I don't think he'll probably retire after that Saudi um that Saudi job. To be honest, so see, so yeah, I don't think um I don't think Nigeria are in with a chance to get him. Um. So this one from Rick A. D. W. What is a worry you have for every contender? That's a bit of a hefty question there. I'm not sure we got the time to, you know what? to answer that There's one. There's something to just because I saw something. Um, I think it's, for me, France, Benjamin Pavard at right back. I think oh, defensively, scary, man. defensively, he isn't even that good. Like, for the Australia goal, he completely loses his man. And that's something that I would criticise Trent for, like, you're a top-level defender, and you're just doing that. You shouldn't even, didn't even show the awareness to like look around to see your defender. So to see your opposite opposite number. Mm. Sorry, um, but yeah, I would say that and possibly injuries. If mm. they do suffer a couple more injuries, it could look scary still. Mm. Yeah, actually, to be fair, we I think we can go through it and do it do it quickly, right? So I think um, we can say defence, midfield or attack, right, for each of them. And, and I think where you think they're potentially the weakest, right, for some of these, um, for the bigger bigger nations. So, Marco, you said it there, um, Pavard in the defence um, for France. Um, let's go to Spain. Um, German Dan, where do you think they're, they're, attack. they're the weakest? 100%. Attack, yeah? No attack, yeah. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. That one. Um, I'm at Farhi. I'm gonna let you to Germany. Actually, where do you think they're they're the weakest? I'd say attack as well. To be honest, mm. I know obviously there's players coming through, but right now, if you're looking at it, I don't think you've got an attack good enough to win anything. Mm. Sorry, Germany. Yeah. Don't cry. Don't be upset. Fair. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> Fair play, um, Marco. I'm gonna give you England midfield. I think. Against the proper world class midfield, they could get popped off the park. Um, mm. Bellingham's good, but his touch is a bit higgy. Rice doesn't progress the ball that much. Mount is just Mount. I don't think the midfield's an issue, you know. I think it's more the defense. Mm, defense. Yeah, defense is a funny one as well. Um, it's just, it's, it's individuals, isn't it, really? Like Maguire. Um, I don't think Trivia is that strong defensively. I know he's doing all right for Newcastle, but I, I, I still don't think he's that great defensively either. So, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a funny one with England, to be honest. I think they just need to lean into the attack, really. Um, I'll take Brazil. Um, and I think they're pretty strong everywhere, bar fullback. Um, to be honest, I think, yeah, fullback is a mess um, with Brazil. And I think when you're seeing Dani Alves, Danilo... Alexandro and Alex Tellez as their fullback options. That is that's horrendous um, for a nature uh, a nation of that stature, um, to be honest. But um, otherwise, I think they're generally quite um, quite strong. Um, have I missed anyone else? Argentina. Dan, I'll give that one to you. Dan. To me, sorry. Oh, to me. Argentina. Yeah. I Argentina, the, boy, defense and midfields. I'm sorry, both of them. 
Over them times. <laughs> <laughs> and the goalkeeper. Yeah, yeah, all of that. <laughs> <laughs> loading up the um, loading up the Martinez agenda. Um, okay, so last question here, um, which is actually not World Cup related. Um, so he says, with the sales of Liverpool and Manchester United... Hold on, hold United, on. Before you go to the next question, and Portugal, surely as well? Definitely. Oh, yeah, Portugal. Yeah, Portugal. Um, you know what? Portugal's a tough one because I don't think they have a weakness um, in terms of their squad. I think their defence is is pretty good. I think their midfield's pretty good and I think their attack's pretty good. I just think it's their manager, um, actually, who is just terrible for me. Um, he doesn't really know what his best team is. He doesn't really get them playing good football. Doesn't really lean into their better players and get them playing in any sort of cogent style. Um, so I think he he will probably be the reason why they don't um, go far. Or Ronaldo um, needing to play every single minute. Like, you know, this is going to be the Ronaldo like show. Like he's going to try and showcase himself to get a new move in it. Bro, the stink so, fest we're going to see from him is going to be oh, legendary. It's going to go off the charts. Like, it's going to be nasty. He's going to be trying to slap it for 40 yards and sky in it. Mm. It's going to be crazy. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, and last question from Rick Hay, DW. He says, with the sales, this is a non-World Cup, right? Um, but breaking news, um, the Glazers apparently are considering putting Manchester United up for sale um, as a put by Sky Sports. Um, so, Rick uh, Wanji, he's asked, with the sales of Liverpool Manchester United, what does this mean for the Super League? Do you think these Americans would be cashing out now slash cave into pressure if they still believed in the idea? No, obviously, if the Super League went ahead, then they would have never cashed out because, mm. because the money would have been stupid money. Um, but obviously, they, they've seen they, that they've been blocked off in every kind of way possible in monetizing their kind of clubs. And it's like, you know, it's, it's like a moral thing and there's an English way of doing things and they've just, they, they just can't do it. So it's just like, if that's the case, we've kind of maximized them to the, to the, like, to the highest possible bit and let's just sell them off. To be fair though, regarding United, I don't actually think it'll be a full sale. I, I think it'll be a partial sale, if anything. I, I can't imagine a family that's eating off that club every single year will just randomly just decide to sell. They have no reason to. They have no reason to. I, I think what will happen is they'll get partial investment and then they'll use that towards the stadium or something because ultimately they don't want to use their own money to do that. So I think that's what they'll do. I can't imagine a full sale of United yet. Yeah, I yeah. can't agree. I can't agree. And I feel like, you know, um, I think what, what you've said about the Super League is right. It's just they sort of you know, a massive growth opportunity um, and that growth opportunity has been shut down. But that doesn't mean that it will be shut down forever because the Champions League is already moving towards that sort of format and um, I'm sure they will try again. <laughs> and the money that they could potentially get from this is too peak. They will try again, I think. Yeah, it's an interesting one because for me, I think um, there's there's still massive growth potential um, with the Premier League, to be honest, like I still think there's, it's pretty untapped. Um, like when you look at the fact that the global TV broadcasting deal is pretty much level with um, the the domestic at the moment, I think there's massive, massive scope for growth. You know, in terms of um, the amount of money they can bring in from that global um, 
that global network, you know, when you think it's the most viewed league, etc. Um, and so I'm I'm actually quite surprised that people seem to be um, jumping ship at this present present point. Um, I think when you look at the time that FSG and um, the Glazers took over, uh, maybe they've seen that you know right now if they can get four or five billion um, for their investments that were in the hundreds of millions. Um, uh, back in, I think Glazers took over 2005, and I think FSG, you know, um, I, I can't remember, but you know, it's early 2010. 2010s, right? You know, um, when they took over. So, you know, you're looking in at 10x in your um, your 100 million investment um, or more uh, in years. You know, maybe maybe they might just say, yeah, that's that's a good enough return for me, and we'll let someone else do the hard yards to potentially try and you know two or three. Uh, times that um, in the future, you know, so so definitely well, one to watch. And I think, yeah, go on, go on, Dan. Yeah, but I do think that the American owners, especially, have a massive problem with how the Premier League divides this broadcast mm. revenue. Yes, there's opportunity for growth, but you're giving you're giving hell of money to Burnley. Why you giving hell of money to West Ham? Why? Yeah, the, and they, they've people? brought this up before. They're, they've made a point of it, and they've tried to say that you know it should be based on how much viewership each team brings in. But obviously, exactly. again with the way the Premier League is set up and how everyone wants to be fair and the football pyramid, they don't want to do that. So again, that's something else that pisses them off. Yeah, it's an interesting one. That that's a whole that's a whole debate because you know one could argue it's the um, it's the sort of the charitable nature of the Premier League is probably what has made it the best and most competitive in the world, right? So that's you know, if, all, if, yeah, if if Arsenal and United had kept all the money as the best two teams. Um, when the Premier League was like really proliferating, would you have, you know, the likes of West Ham having a Declan Wright and a Lucas Paqueta and, um, you know, some of these other uh, teams that have got the quality of players that they do now? So, um, you know, definitely an interesting one. And I'm sure um, we'll be monitoring that United sale situation going forward. But, um, guys, I'm going to leave it there. Um, that's been a, a, an in-depth, good discussion on... on uh, what's it? Episode three of World Cup Fracker, um, day three of the World Cup uh, 2022. Um, so, uh, thank you very much for listening, um, guys. Thank you very much for for joining me for this discussion, Marco, Dan, Fahi, um, and we'll be back soon uh, with another World Cup Fracker tomorrow. Yeah. So take it easy. Podcast Network.